Environmental subjects tend to be complex and require specific knowledge, but also their polarizing nature, the strong interest linked to the fossil fuel industry, and the excess of disinformation that is circulating on these topics, all this makes the coverage of climate and environmental stories particularly dangerous and challenging. But certainly this also underscores the need for strong, independent, public interest environmental journalism. As people struggle to deal with the consequences of the climate crisis, journalism needs to be there for them and provide the information that they need in this crisis. How can we ensure this? My name is Barbara Triumfi, and welcome to the IPI Press Freedom Files. Today, uh, I will talk to three leading experts on climate journalism. First, Alexandra Borchat, lead author of the European Broadcasting Union's news report, Climate Journalism That Works Between Knowledge and Impact. And Marta Frigerio, editor-in-chief of Radar Magazine, which is an Italian news outlet focusing on environmental subjects. Later, I will join. I will be joined by Sarah Nordgren, senior climate consultant at the Associated Press. So, I've been doing some research on environmental journalism recently, and just last month, IPI published my report called "The Change We Need: Strategies to Support." environmental journalism. I would like to discuss with um, you today some of the issues presented in that report. First of all, let's start. There is a perception that climate and environmental coverage is a so-called rating killer, that audiences don't consume journalistic content, um, in particular on environmental subjects. And uh, Interestingly, various studies have shown that audiences, on one hand, they say they want more coverage of climate topics. On the other, it's true, audience ratings on many environmental stories are not that good. So the common explanation for this is that environmental stories tend to be shocking and depressing and uh, doom and gloom leads to news avoidance. Alexandra, the report you have put together for the EBU covers extensively audience expectations and audience needs. What is the experience of the broadcasters that you have contacted? Is this an outdated perception that audiences don't want environmental coverage? And and um, if it is true, what can be done about it? On to you, Alexandra. Yeah, thank you, Barbara. Now, this is by no means outdated. Many news outlets uh, are experiencing this as we speak. And we've done uh, more than 40 interviews with media leaders, with experts, with, with everyone, lots of people who are concerned with uh, climate coverage. And we found that it's really a tricky issue. And uh, the major finding of our, of our report is really that uh, only when newsrooms have come up with a strategy, really, how to cover this right, what to do, what are the audience needs in this, 
then they also experience increased uh, an increased uh, reader or viewer or listener take up. So it's really uh, not a matter how much you do, what what you really do, and it's a matter how that really speaks to the particular audiences you want to reach, and you have to study their needs first before you come up with this. Thanks for that, Martha. Radar magazine focuses ex exclusively on environmental coverage. Um, so Alexandra said we need to see what what are the needs. We need to understand our audiences. Um, do you also notice that certain types of stories are more successful with audiences than others? And 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 um, how how do you see the relationship with the audiences? Yes, Barbary. Uh, we find out that uh, local stories are the stories that are performing better for our audience. Indeed, when three years ago with a group of colleagues uh, we decided to find uh, to found Router magazine, we uh, discovered that in Italy there was missing a kind of journalism that could cover the local consequences of the climate crisis because events that happen on the other side of the world have a very strong and very direct impact on local communities also in Italy. So we decided to work with the local community and we find out that the stories that actually are um, are having uh, uh, the best impact uh, and are most liked by our audience are those that focus not only on the problem but also on the solution on the local communities. And indeed, at Rather Magazine, we try also to cover the solution and the constructive examples of um, uh, of uh, these uh, communities, what they're trying to do to face the climate crisis and to tackle this problem. And yes, we find out that uh, people in Italy and readers in Italy, they really like this kind of content. And uh, we are also working on some explainers with a new format we are trying to develop. Right. So, so what you say, Martha, is basically local community and in general audiences out there need more information about climate and environment. So we need to give more space to it. But all this requires not only the need, not only additional resources, but also we need to restructure the newsroom in order to be able to do this in some cases. So, um, because many news outlets have already been facing economic difficulties, how can we secure the necessary resources? And, and later in the podcast, I will talk to Sarah Nordgren um, about how the Associated Press has been able to greatly expand its coverage of environmental stories thanks to philanthropic donation. Um, but many organizations don't have the type of reach that AP has. So for you, Martha, for Radar Magazine, um, which is a fairly small, but it's a high qualitative, specialized environmental news outlet. Um, how do you fund your journalism and how, how is your experience with philanthropic support and how could uh, philanthropic support actually help you gain greater sustainability? Yeah, that's a good question, Barbara, because we are an independent newsroom and we don't have neither paywall nor advertising because we truly believe that quality journalism should be accessible and available to everyone. Uh, however, I'm not going to hide from you that uh, this choice can be difficult sometimes uh, uh, and because we faced uh, a series of obstacles and problems uh, and uh, donations from our readers uh, are not enough. 
Indeed, we do not offer subscription, but we rely just on spontaneous donations. So that's quite unpredictable for us to know uh, how much income we are going to have. So for our journalistic pro uh, projects and uh, investigation, we often rely on grants. And uh, for other uh, activities, uh, we have other revenue streams, uh, such as uh, consultancies. We work with NGOs, organizations, and uh, we, uh, we work on uh, some media literacy and uh, science communication project. Uh, philanthropic support is exactly the next step we want to take because we want to increase our financial security, uh, but we also want to remain independent and we also want to remain accessible to everyone. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, that's not uh, very common in Italy. So uh, we are looking for a European foundation because we want to become even more sta stable and we want to have uh, the chance to work on new projects and uh, to secure uh, uh, our project and uh, to have also a greater impact. Right. So um, this, this, this is really interesting. Um, and and Alexandra, some time ago, you and I spoke about how newsrooms um, have to restructure in order to um, offer enough space to environmental coverage. They have to also rethink their journalistic approach and, and um, there is a, not, a lot of innovation in this area. And I think that some of the strategies adopted by news organizations are really interesting. I, wanted to, I was wondering, what have you seen there? What do you think is interesting, what newsrooms have been doing? Yeah, there have been a lot of interesting attempts. And uh, But let me get back a little bit to, to the uh, funding question, because you were emphasizing about the resources. I mean... The most important thing is you don't necessarily have to do more, but you have to do it better. You have to do it in a in a more targeted way. And you really have to carefully think about your audiences because the experiences are, uh, if you have just a few projects that, that are really uh, in-depth and, and really good research, then, then people are much more interested. And if they have uh, really something to do, some, some connections with their lives. Um, about newsroom restructuring, it's really important to uh, make climate journalism or environmental journalism part of every beat, and particularly in the business section and the e economics uh, coverage. It's so, so important to include questions of sustainability, uh, for example, when reporting on what, what companies are doing, because it, re it really gets down to a big major economic interest changing their strategy uh, towards more more sustainability and there's an example an interesting example for example that that um that AFP Presse, the, the the French news agency has done because they have founded a climate hub uh, the future of the planet hub it's called and uh, they merged the business section and the environment section and that had immediate effect because the different uh, colleagues would resort on different experts. So so the, the uh, business colleagues wouldn't any longer just talk to analysts, to CEOs, whatever, but they would also talk to uh, people from NGOs and scientists. And uh, the science and environment colleagues would also talk to CEOs, whether you know stuff is feasible. So that really had a big uh, effect. And I've, I've spoken to people from many news organizations that decided against just expanding their uh, climate uh, desk or 
or a, a science desk, but made this uh, across um, made this an area that that is covered across the whole organization. For example, the Financial Times also also did that. Um, so that really helps then to raise an awareness in the newsroom with everyone that this is really part of their beat. And and uh, really, uh, what was what Marta rightly said is also that that really make it part of local journalism. This is really really uh, important uh, too because people really care about what's closest to home, what really affects them. And interestingly, when I talk to people, um, they they said very often uh, the stuff that resonates most with with the audiences is not the award winning type of journalism, but it's really something that's. Uh, very close to their needs that that really uh, hits home um, that is right in their neighborhood so really very short formats often explain explanatory journalism is, is very often very popular so really uh, don't just go for an award with huge research projects but really think about what hits home with your particular audience this this is um really interesting so you 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 Mentor Marta, you mentioned no paywalls. We want the information to be accessible. And Alexandra, you said, let's do something that hits home. Let's help our audiences and also quality before quantity. So my, my last question is related to this and uh, has to do with impact, uh, which is a difficult term in a journalistic context. Journalists always think we cover the facts and, and that's all we do. But in the climate context, the now... Many feel that we need to change that approach, that we need to produce journalism that has impact. And your report, Alexandra, is actually called Climate Journalism That Works. So is impact a criteria for climate journalism that works? And, and if so, how do you measure it, Alexandra? It should matter, definitely, because something that doesn't have an impact is just a waste of resources and no newsroom has resources to waste. So it's really important that you at least measure uh, audience responses, you know, uh, how, how many people really enjoy your journalism, how many, how much time they spend on, on certain issues, how much, uh, how often they share it, for example, on social media. I mean, that's one uh, one part of impact, and, and obviously uh, the more important impact is, is even when it influences political decision-making. So it really makes a lot of sense when newsrooms keep track of their climate coverage and how it has affected the political debate, maybe even informed decisions, maybe even on, on lo for local governments or national governments. Uh, maybe it had an impact on business leaders, how they restructured uh, their businesses according to uh, certain types of, yeah, maybe there's public protest uh, because of a story or because of something. It's really tricky in journalism to, to measure impact. And I also know journalists who say, oh, you know, this is not my job. My job is to report the facts, not to have impact, because having impact uh, would almost mean uh, something short of manipulation. But uh, as I said, I think at a topic uh, that important when we don't have time to waste, it's really uh, very, it's, it's really crucial to see that the resources we invest in climate journalism uh, have some impact and that they make a difference with people. 
that that's this is really interesting. What how how it, how about um, Radar Magazine, Martha? Is is impact a criteria for you? And I'm thinking about, for example, your recent um, series of stories on the so-called forever chemicals that PFAS, um, which reveals some really shocking data about contamination across Europe and who is responsible for it. So you invested a lot of resource, understand that some of you worked for over a year. Um, did you have impact in mind? And if so, which type of? I do agree with Alexandra. I guess that uh, one of the most rewarding moments uh, as a journalist is to see that your work has some kind of concrete and very tangible impact on the everyday life of people and for civil society. And uh, indeed, when we try to raise awareness, that's uh, what we are trying to do with our investigation. But for um, scientific and environmental journalists, this is quite tricky sometimes because there's also a thin line between journalism and activism. So we have to be very careful. So uh, talking about impact, uh, I guess the time has come to untie the idea of the impact from numbers and just data. Uh, what we are trying to do is uh, to try uh, a new indicator and try to measure our impact uh, in a different way. Uh, we do not want to rely just on uh, quantitative data, but uh, we want to uh, find new indicators and new, new ways. So uh, we've been trying to uh, figure out our North Star metric because we want to measure the impact of our work and our investigation on the civil society. As you mentioned, Barbara, we've been working on this huge cross-border investigation. And uh, the impact of that project is that the civil societies are uh, are doing something for this. Uh, they find out there's a problem and they are uh, calling, uh, um, I don't know, um, the, the local government, uh, also the regional government to do something to act because uh, citizens want to be informed. They want to, and they want to have their voice heard. So uh, for us, uh, that's the great impact. This is, um, yeah, very, very interesting. So impact, um, we look at audience response, but not only in terms of clicks or just readers or copies sold, but really behavioral change, policy change. This sounds like very complex for journalists, but also very, very exciting. Thank you so much for sharing your experience. Thank you for the important work that you are doing to ensure highest journalistic standards in the coverage of environmental topics. Alexandra Borchert, Marta Frigerio, thank you for joining me today. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs> Let me now turn to Sarah Nordgren, Senior Climate Consultant for the Associated Press. Sarah, the AD has recently greatly increased its environmental coverage. Was this in response to a need expressed by your members or your audiences? Or, or, or was this an editorial decision to give more space to what is certainly the most pressing crisis of, that the world is facing? Barbara, first of all, thank you very much for including me um, today. You know, 
there's no story that's more pressing, truly existential, than climate change um, from a journalistic standard. It's the top story of the day, the week, the year, the decade. And yes, audience interest is growing, and so is our customer interest in the subject. Um, you know, media, I think large and small, are really beginning to recognize the story's importance and how it transcends geographies and traditional beats, whether you're covering sports or religion or climate itself, journalists really need to understand and embrace the subject. And we've really um, spent the last few years thinking about that and how to grow that coverage at the AP and how to help others grow their coverage as well. This is this is really interesting, and if I'm not mistaken, your environmental AP's environmental team today includes over 15 journalists around the world. Is that correct? That is correct. We've grown from when we started this project um, about two years ago. We had three journalists globally full time covering climate change. Of course, other people would get pulled into it, but. Truly, there were three people who were working on it full time. Uh, we now have 25 and growing um, journalists who are reporting from the Amazon, from uh, Africa, from Indonesia, from India, and of course in the United States as well. And that was a, a really um, deliberate growth that we've made to encompass the story. And I will say, even with that number of people, there are still areas where we feel like coverage is lacking and uh, needs greater attention. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure about that. If I understood correctly, Sarah, AP relies on philanthropic donation to support its climate coverage. Um, what are the, the advantages of, of in addition to the, 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 the financial support that you see with this model and what are the challenges that you see? Yeah, it's a really good question. And um, it's something we thought about a lot before we embarked on it. Um, you know, of course, as a news organization, climate change is something we would cover regardless. Um, but at a time of shrinking dollars for the news industry, I mean, at a time when a third of U.S. counties no longer have a viable news outlet in their in their uh, reach, philanthropic funding vastly improves our ability to improve our coverage and to support smaller media organizations in their efforts as well. Uh, I, the The advantages are obvious. Um, we receive funding for staff for uh, technology. Um, the the disadvantages, I don't think I would actually characterize them as disadvantages. As a news organization, one has to be thoughtful about sustainability and whether or not when a, a three-year grant expires, we are able to renew that grant, whether the people that are associated with that grant are able to continue in their positions through other funding, um, so that is a, a concern uh, that we're, we're still learning about and working on. Um, I don't worry about editorial integrity, uh, however, which I know a lot of people talk about and, and think about. 
We have very clear standards at the AP, like a lot of other news organizations, about the the firewall between a foundation and our actual news coverage. So our funders understand that we are more than happy to work with them around geographic interests and general um, story uh, interests, whether it's emerging technologies or methane or climate migration. Um, but it is our newsroom's responsibility to determine those what those stories are that we tell, who tells them, how we tell them, all of that. Indeed, yeah, that that's that's uh, that it is indeed a concern of that many people share. But um, so it's great it's great to hear that editorial independence is protected. Um, my, my last question relates to impact, which also may have to do with uh, you know being and um, receiving funds from philanthropic donations. Uh, and and impact is obviously a difficult term in in uh, in journalism because many journalists don't don't think in terms of impact. But it seems that with the climate emergency, those who cover the climate are increasingly thinking about how do they contribute to 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 to, to countering the the climate crisis. So. Is this something that is supporting us? Is this something behind AP's coverage? And and if so, how do you define impact in climate coverage? Our goal, of course, you know, is is kind of a umbrella. It's it's to provide fact based stories in video, text, and audio that that help people understand climate change, what solutions are out there, what obstacles we're facing. Um, but within our, our news report, we really work hard across regions and across climate beats to identify and um, deliver stories with impact. Part of that is because, of course, funders are interested in, in knowing what the impact of, of their um, investment is. Uh, but also we want to know so that we can better uh, direct our own coverage towards stories that, that matter. Um, we uh, have developed an impact tracker that helps us evaluate uh, where stories are being used and how broadly they're being used. Um, but AP remains largely a, a B2B business. We, Our customers are media organizations who take our content and use it the way, the way that they best see fit. Um, but the impact tracker really helps us evaluate that usage. And um, we look at whether stories are prompting legislative action or hearings. That's another way to um, track impact. One of the things I'd mentioned about that is, you know, an example, we, we recently had a story about how federal legislation was going to basically push up a million people out of the market for flood insurance. And uh, shortly after that story ran, there were congressional hearings that occurred around that subject. So that's impact. We, we like that. We, we are aware that people are paying attention. The, the other thing that I just mentioned there is, you know, we're, we're kind of a strange breed. AP is a cooperative and we have always taken very seriously our, our role in, in helping our media partners and, and helping to sustain the industry, big and small. 
we so one of the things that we've done with climate in particular is work to build capacity in other newsrooms for climate change coverage. That can be things like we receive a big data analysis of, let's say, flooding insurance, and we distribute that data to our members and customers and give them the tools to analyze it from their own local perspective. Um, that's one way. We've also been doing some some fairly significant training of other newsrooms around uh, climate issues to to help deepen coverage beyond our own. That is fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sarah Nordgren. And thanks to all our guests today for sharing your experience in ensuring accurate and relevant coverage of environmental stories. IPI will continue to work on this topic. I am currently looking into another major obstacle, which are attacks and harassment of journalists as a consequence of their coverage of climate and environmental stories. And I look forward to presenting the findings of that research um, soon. Stay tuned for the next episodes of the IPI Press Freedom File, and bye-bye.